0: Welcome to the Health and Wellness Show on the SOT Radio Network. Today is November 16th, 2018. I am your host, Doug. Uh, With me in our virtual studio from all over the planet is actually nobody. I'm flying solo today. Well, that's not entirely true. So recently, uh, Gabby Elliott and I were all in the same location, and we decided to do a pre-record interview with Elliott um, Elliot has been doing kind of a deep dive on thiamine, vitamin B1, recently. He's done a lot of research on it and had some pretty interesting things to say about it. So we decided to do a bit of a, a pre-recorded interview with him about that. So I'm going to play that now. Afterwards, um, we will come back for Zoya's pet health segment. Um, so here we go. Enjoy.
1: So, Elliot. <laughs> Tell us all
0: about
2: vitamin B1. <laughs> well, it's quite a complex topic. Where would you like to start?
1: I think it's a good start actually would be why would, why did you get interested in this mm-hmm. subject?
2: Okay, so I became interested in looking at thiamine because um, when I was trained in nutrition, I never really learned much about it. Mm-hmm. And I came across an author. Uh, he's a... A physician working over in the United States, and his name was Dr. Derek Lonsdale, and I came across a book that he recently wrote, and he was talking about um, thiamine deficiency and the the various effects that that can have on people's health. Now, when I was taught about thiamine, I originally thought that this was a thing of the past; that deficiency was. Um, common in the early 20th century but then they eradicated that. It turns out that that's not the case and that thiamine deficiency is actually really quite common in the western world Um, and so I did quite a lot of research in this area and most of the the research was published by Dr Lonsdale and his colleagues and it turns out that they've um, in the past have treated multiple different conditions using thiamine therapy um, and I think it's a very important topic in today's world. Mm-hmm.
1: When people think about thiamine deficiency, what are the usual classical diseases that they, that come
2: up? Right, okay, that's a good question. So thiamine deficiency, um, it first presented, I believe, in Japan, and this was when um, the higher classes of Japanese what they did was they started refining um, rice so instead of eating brown rice they would eat white rice because it was more aesthetically pleasing um, and this was almost like a status symbol in society and what they didn't know was that when you remove the husk from the rice you actually re- remove most of the vitamins so you present with just the starch. And what they started finding was um, all sorts of symptoms started cropping up and typically a thiamine deficiency can lead to beriberi, that's one of the uh, peripheral nervous system disorders. Likewise, uh, another one is called vernix encephalopathy, so this is like a psychosis. and so it can present in many different ways. It can present with um, cardiac arrhythmias or heart palpitations. There can be um, many different symptoms involved. It can affect the gastrointestinal sy- system. So you can have constipation or diarrhea or something like that, gastroesophageal reflux disorder, um, but there's also breathlessness and um, inability to concentrate, inability to regulate your emotions, and eventually uh, it can lead to heart failure and many different things like that. Mm. Um, And so once it was discovered that actually the reason why people were coming down with these nervous system disorders might have been due to this vitamin, they started fortifying the grains and fortifying the rice with the vitamin, and they found that actually it very quickly eradicated this disease. Um, Since that point onwards, there's been a lot more research into the various B vitamins and it's been found that when you refine foods, uh, you take out the vitamins, you can really lead to deficiency states and they can lead to all sorts of diseases. But again, if you speak to any conventional medical doctor, they would say that thiamine deficiency is a thing of the past. Now that we fortify our food... Um, it's no longer a problem, whereas, again, this isn't necessarily the case. I
1: think a mainstream doctor will only think about, like, or alcoholic people mm-hmm. get, mm-hmm. like, Korsakoff's, yes. and they yeah. they'll think, oh, timing deficiency. Mm-hmm. Korsakov syndrome is also related, then.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it, um, as you said, it, it present- presents with long-term chronic alcoholism. Uh, also, anorexia, that is one of the things where if an anorexic... Um, begins to refeed. They they refeed on lots of carbohydrates. Typically, they will need extra thiamine, and I think that is something that medicine does acknowledge. Um, however, when we're talking about thiamine deficiency, it needs to be noted that the end stage of deficiency is presenting with beriberi or Korsakoff's psychosis, but ultimately, um, there are many stages along that. And you can have early stages of thyroid deficiency, which wouldn't necessarily present as those syndromes. Okay. okay.
1: And why, what was the name of this doctor that you mentioned?
2: His name was Dr. Derek Lonsdale. Hmm.
1: Derek Lonsdale.
2: Yeah, and he practiced at the Cleveland Clinic. Uh-huh. I believe he was part of the pediatric unit and he worked with children. Um, but throughout his time there, he was also working with various adults and things like that. Um, and he no longer practices, from what I believe. I think he's retired. But he wrote a very interesting book, co-authored with um, an endocrinologist, I believe. Her name is Dr. Chandler Mars, and um, and it's called High Calorie Malnutrition. No, sorry, Thiamine Deficiency, Dysautonomia, and High Calorie Malnutrition. And it's a very comprehensive book.
1: So the question is. It is not a thing of the past, this thiamine deficiency. Does it apply today for people in the Western world who you will think will eat enough nutrients Mm -hmm. entirely?
2: Right. So, again, that's a good question. I think we need to go back to some basics and try to understand why we actually need thiamine before I can answer that question. Mm -hmm. So when we eat certain foods, our body breaks them down into their basic components so you have glucose you have fats and you have proteins and now to be able to turn those things into energy we need enzymes and let's say you consume some sugar and your body will transport it into the cells and it will go through lots of different stages and they require lots of different enzymes the end product will be usable energy in the form of what we call ATP okay so that's what the cells need to do things so For those enzymes to work, you need cofactors, and these are like helping hands, okay? And these are vitamins and minerals. So this is the reason why anyone who knows anything about nutrition emphasises the importance of getting vitamins and minerals. And when we talk about thiamine or vitamin B1, um, thiamine is a very important part of those enzymes. So to be able to take energy from food, you need to have enough thiamine. Now, if we look at how nature works, it's quite clever, really, because any food that we eat that contains glucose or contains protein or contains fat will also contain lots of different vitamins and minerals. And so it comes in the perfect package where we get everything that we need. Now, rice
1: huts of the Japanese.
2: That's exactly it. If you're going to eat brown rice or you're going to eat grains, if you eat the whole grains, Um, whilst it may not be optimal, you're still getting all of the vitamins to be able to process that food. Now the problem is, is that when we start refining the food, when we take out the nutrients, we take out vitamins and minerals, then you get the pure energy, so you get the pure glucose or the pure fat, but you don't get all of the things that you need to break it down. And now that becomes a bit of a problem. Now, if you look at the Western world today, what do people typically eat a lot of? Refined
0: foods.
2: Refined foods. So we eat fast food, we eat sugar, we eat white sugar. And these things have had, I mean, if you look at sugarcane, this comes with a vast array of different vitamins and minerals. The problem is white sugar does not. And so with the B vitamins, thiamine is one of those. They're water soluble so what this means is you need a constant supply of them and they're essential so your body can't make them so you need to get them from somewhere and if you think about it you have at any one point you have a certain amount so let's say you have a cup full of thiamine okay a cup full of B vitamins and every time you have sugar or every time you have fat you're using up some of that thiamine now Ordinarily, if you're eating whole foods like potatoes or pork or any of the other things that thiamin is found in, and it's found in many different foods, then every time you're using up the sugar, you're also adding in some thiamin. So you're keeping it in a balance. The cycle can keep going round. The problem is, is when you start consuming refined foods, you're using up all of the stored thiamine that you have and you're continuing to put in loads of glucose and it can get to a point where the body can no longer metabolize the energy because it doesn't have enough tools to do so in the form of vitamins and minerals okay and so if we look at the 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 uses of these vitamins it's not only in energy metabolism as I've said you use vitamins and minerals to be able to break down energy but if you look at thymine it's actually involved in many different things so it's involved in the breakdown of amino acids it's involved in the metabolism of fats as well but really what's very interesting is it's essential for the production of brain chemicals, they're called neurotransmitters, one of them is acetylcholine. Now, acetylcholine is very important in nerve transmission, in thinking and cognition, and in nervous system function.
1: So that's uh, where the symptoms of cognitive decline comes from, from deficit of time?
2: Yes, yes. Well, not only that, but this is a, a relatively unknown thing. There is research to suggest, and Derek Lonsdale does talk about this, that thiamine is not only important for the synthesis of neurotransmitters, but it's also important to maintain the health of the myelin sheath Mm -hmm. and to maintain the health of the neurons themselves. And there is a part of the brain called the limbic system, and as part of the brainstem, this is a very sort of primitive aspect of the brain and this controls
1: the emotional brain
2: yeah yeah and and this really has um, quite a large control of the autonomic nervous system as well and so um, the cells in that part of the brain are particularly sensitive to thiamine deficiency okay and when there is no longer thiamine in, in in that part of the brain it acts in a similar way as if there was a deficiency in oxygen and so we know what happens when there's a deficiency in oxygen the cells die, and they can no longer function. And so this is similar to what happens in that part of the brain when thiamine becomes low.
1: And what the, does that mean that people can get more emotional, reactive, or have mood problems?
2: Yes, yeah, so some of the symptoms of thiamine deficiency in its early stages are um, emotional instability, mood changes, um, can be feeling of depression, even schizophrenia and bipolar these are all very common findings um, but at the same time whilst it can affect our emotions it can also affect every other part of our body because you have to understand that the nervous system is really in control of the vascular chores. so it it, it it can determine how well the cardiovascular system is functioning it can control um, really how many of the organs function okay and so, if we look at early stage thyma deficiency, it can manifest in multiple different ways. Um, one of those one of the first symptoms is heart palpitations, but eventually the heart can enlarge to um, to try to make up for what is perceived as an oxygen deficit. Um, and this can again, this can eventually lead to heart failure. But you also have more benign symptoms, such as Raynaud's. Raynaud's is the um, uncontrolled constriction and dilation of the blood vessels in response to different temperatures. But essentially, when there is a thiamine deficiency, it means that the the nervous system can no longer effectively adapt to the environment. Okay, so temperature regulation becomes kind of skewed. Uh, There is a a common, or there's a a condition called postural or static tachycardia syndrome and this typically involves um, the nervous system being unable to control what the blood vessels do and it can result in all kinds of symptoms but this can also affect the gut as well because we have to understand that the gut um, to propel food from the stomach down the intestine requires the nervous system to contract and so in thiamine deficiency one of the aspects of that can actually be like a small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or some kind of other gut dysfunction and This can go unrecognized So it's certainly very interesting um, pins and needles in the arm or any kind of other um, Neurological based sim- symptoms can actually be be due to a thymor deficiency
1: And This is at the level of the nervous system and in its complexity. Mm-hmm. Does it affect another system? Like, um, for example, hormonal, or can it make you susceptible to infections?
2: Or... Yeah, so when we look at thymine, I've spoken about it being important in the nervous system, but also what can't be overlooked is its, its function in energy metabolism. And energy metabolism occurs in every single cell. We have to understand that for cells to be able to do what they need to do, they need enough energy okay and this applies to every single cell and when you look at various diseases what they're finding now is that there is actually um, a condition which is fairly similar in all of them and this is defective energy production it's called mitochondrial dysfunction that's what the technical name is but essentially what it refers to is that the cells can no longer make energy as well as they could before and um, Yeah, and so basically the cells can no longer make energy as well well as they could before. And so if we look at what thiamine actually does, thiamine is really like part of, um, if you, to keep it simple, you have various enzyme complexes and thiamine sits at the top of the cell's ability to make energy. If there's not enough thiamine, then the energy production is really quite halted. Okay, and this again can be a really big problem. And so when you look at something like susceptibility to infection, what Derek Lonsdale found was that people um, who he was treating were. Their immune function was completely skewed, and so they would they would be highly susceptible to various infections. And this is because the immune system, like every other system in the body, actually requires energy. Okay, and so the integrity of a tissue, let's say, okay, for instance, you've got the bladder. So the cells lining the bladder, the mucosa, to maintain healthy mucosa and healthy functioning and immune functioning in that system, you need enough energy to do so okay and what he found was that really um many of the conditions that he was treating he was treating in the same way Um, and this was actually with the aim of restoring energy production and so this is quite um a new a new and novel idea in medicine but um the general gist of of what i took from the book and and the the ideas that the authors were suggesting was that many different kinds of diseases actually have a very similar origin it has to do with energy and this can explain how something um like thiamine can actually improve so many different conditions which seem unrelated
1: Mm -hmm. everything that is related to mitochondrial dysfunction can be improved with thiamine supplementation. Yeah. How about these diseases which involve, well, cro- uh, chronic fatigue syndrome?
2: Right, so it's interesting that you ask that because because there's quite a lot of research um, thymine being used in various different conditions. Um, and one of those is chronic fatigue syndrome. So if we look at chronic fatigue, chronic fatigue at its, at its basis really seems to be mitochondrial dysfunction and the onset of chronic fatigue syndrome really along with fibromyalgia actually begin or started to show its face after the onset of a specific kind of antibiotic called a fluoroquinolone antibiotic Mm -hmm. okay and there's lots of information around that but one of the um, aspects of that potentially is that fluoroquinolones are known to deplete thiamine Mm -hmm. and so Researchers have used thiamine successfully to treat people with chronic fatigue syndrome and they've got very interesting results. There was one study on um, individuals with fibromyalgia and it was a very small study. There was only three people in the study, Um, but he found up to 80% um, in all three people. It was 60, 70 and 80% improved um, in fatigue and in uh, malaise and in subjective feeling of well-being. Um, this was just with the vitamin B1, and so they concluded that this should be sort of first point of call in many of these kinds of um, conditions.
1: So how about I wanted to know more about these uh, fluoroquinolone problem, because fluoroquinolones are antibiotics. They became very popular, and right now they're telling us again, whoa, wait, too many, too many side effects. Leave, leave mm. them for our mm. last option. And fluoroquinolones—they include ciprofloxacin, levofloxacin, and all these antibiotics. Why does thiamine gets depleted when you use this?
2: I think I don't know if anyone really knows that. Um, I can't say that I know the exact mechanism. Perhaps it is known. Um, I'm f- sure that um, it does have a depleting effect. That's been documented. Uh-huh. And from what I suspect, or from what I understand, it could have something to do with oxalate. Um, that is another mechanism. However, that's quite complex in and of itself.
1: Biochemically
2: speaking. Biochemically speaking, yeah. So, what we know is that fluoroquinolones do have an effect on the body, whereby thiamine becomes depleted, and that they may inhibit the absorption of thiamine as well. Okay. I see
1: that will that contribute because one of the most common side effects is ruptured tendons. Yes. Of will thiamine, will and thiamine help reverse that problem? Or heal it? I
2: don't know. This, yeah, this again is a very difficult topic to tackle because that I think has to do with the metabolism of glycine and vitamin B6 and vitamin C. Yeah. Now...
1: Forgets.
2: Yeah, it, it does get quite complicated when we're talking about that. Uh, what I can say is that I think there is a, a, a trickle-down or downstream effect that can affect the metabolism of various B vitamins, which does have an effect on collagen synthesis and also has an effect on various other things like energy metabolism. I think that has to do with multiple mechanisms, and one of those is oxalates and another one is um, disruption of the microbiome. Okay,
1: because we do need B vitamins, enzymes as you call them, thiamine mm-hmm. in order to get like all the nutrients into our tendons mm-hmm. you know, and, and our body yeah.
2: tissues. that's true. Yeah. Um, aside from the fluoroquinolones, there are also other um, medications that are typically prescribed for other things, which have shown to have a detrimental effect on thiamine metabolism. Metabolism, the oral contraceptive pill is one of those. Um, metformin is one of those. Um, there are many others. I think, I think non-steroidal anti-inflammatories may have an effect, but I'm not 100% sure about that.
1: Is thiamine something that you usually get from food, or does gut bacteria, the microbiome, also produces it?
2: I think it works both ways. Um, So generally, with a lot of the B vitamins, if not all of the B B vitamins, they are produced by by the microbiome. They contribute toward a certain percentage of our daily B vitamin intake. But from what I understand, um, the majority of thiamine intake will be from the diet. And that is assuming that the diet contains it. Because if you're consuming refined foods, there's a good chance that you're not going to have as much in your diet. Um, another problem is the absorption. And so there can be many things which can actually um, mess with the absorption, the body's ability to take thiamine. And so one of those is... you have various tannins or polyphenols in tea, which can have an effect. Um, coffee can also inhibit the absorption of uh, thiamine in the gut. There are also sulfites and hydrogen sulfide. So let's say that someone does have particularly um, imbalanced gut bacteria, and they produce a lot of the gas called hydrogen sulfide. In animal studies, this has been shown to potentially degrade thiamine in the gut before it's absorbed. Hmm. Now, if you've got someone uh, someone who has absorption issues in the digestive tract like celiac or crohn's disease or something like that, this is also potentially going to inhibit the absorption of thymine um, Aside from that, there are also genetic transporter problems so you have transporters which allow the absorption of these things um, there are potentially going to be enzymes or 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 mutations in genes which mean that certain people may not be able to absorb as much as others Mm. not a lot is really known about that yet though.
0: Well given that I mean that there are so many different things that can interfere with Mm. it Um, if somebody was you know thinking that maybe they had some symptoms of Mm. vitamin deficiency or they had some tests done, what kind of dosages are we looking at if they wanted to start supplementing?
2: Right so to answer that question i think we need to look at the different forms of thiamine first of all Mm -hmm. so the typical dose that you would find or the typical type of thiamine that you would find in a multivitamin is a thiamine salt and this is thiamine hydrochloride Mm -hmm. okay so this typically has very low bioavailability um, and when it's prescribed at so-called physiological doses um, there's good reason to believe that not much of it is absorbed Mm -hmm. okay however Derek Lonsdale did find that in certain cases for children um, he could megadose dose thiamine hydrochloride say at 300 to 600 milligrams per day and this is a very high dose for thiamine um, he found that this could have beneficial effects however when we look at how thiamine is transported into the cells there are thiamine transporters okay on the cell membrane which help thiamine actually get into the cells and this is why testing can be problematic because someone could have normal blood levels of thiamine but the thiamine may not be able to get into the cells likewise it may not also be able to be used in the cells so this is why typical testing for thiamine doesn't yield um very good results okay now with the type of thiamine, you would want to try to find a thiamine that can get into the cells. And so benfotiamine, that is one that is typically used for diabetic neuropathy with very good results. Um, this can be very beneficial, uh, especially at high doses. Um, and this has been shown to be more bioavailable or more readily absorbed than thiamine hydrochloride. Mm. This is something that you might want to use for things going on in the peripheral nervous system and the rest of the body. Mm. However, as I said before, many of the problems with the nervous system may actually be stemming from the brain. And so research has shown that certain types of thiamine can get into the blood past the blood brain barrier and into the brain better than others so there is a, a formulation which the japanese studied many years ago and the actual chemical formula is tetrahydrofurfuryl disulfide so that's a really big big yeah. word ttfd i believe that's and it's basically a lipid soluble one. So it's fat soluble and it's been shown to get into the brain. Mm. Um, and so that is typically needed in much lower doses. However, high doses, maybe 100 to 200 milligrams can really help people. Mm. Um, but what we need to know when we're talking about supplementing is that Supplementing at normal levels, so physiological levels, which means the sort of levels that you would store in your body at any one time, um, has been shown to be really quite ineffective for long-stage chronic thiamine deficiency. Mm. Now, the reason for this is, um, or the reason that Dr. Lonsdale and Chandler Mars cite, they hypothesize that what might happen is that when there is a chronic deficiency of a vitamin like thiamine that because you have various machinery in your cells which use those things if you have low levels of the vitamin the machinery the proteins and the enzymes are naturally going to be down regulated less of them are going to be produced to match the deficit Mm -hmm. does that make sense yeah yeah okay so in that case the enzymes may be down regulated but likewise it may be that the transporters are also down regulated mm-hmm. and so what that means is is that you can give someone quite a high dose of thiamine but if there are not the transporters to be able to get them into the cells and if once they are in the cells the enzymes are not um there are not enough enzymes or there's not a high level of enzymes then the chances are the thiamine that someone has is not going to be used. OK, and you may not be able to absorb very much of it. And so what they found is that, for instance, if you've got a case of beriberi, um, whilst you can get rid or, or deal with most of the symptoms, you know, by administering thiamine for a couple of weeks, uh, Dr. Lonsdale found that you may need to do it for up to a year uh, at very high doses.
1: Oh, before you see the results, the time it takes for all to transport it. Yeah. To get
2: this, yeah, that's exactly what it is. So it's almost like sending a message to the body that we now have abundance of this vitamin and that the body needs to adapt that. And it takes a, a, quite a long time to do that. And so the body needs to understand that this is a consistent thing and that it can match the requirement and it can start to upregulate all of the transporters, all of the enzymes to match the level of the vitamin that you're getting in the diet it can take up to a year it can take up to a year yeah apparently in the case of beriberi now there are cases where uh, dr lonsdale if i remember correctly was treating many other different conditions specifically children with postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome or Mm -hmm. POTS um, and he was finding that you may not see benefits until four or five months later Mm -hmm. okay and that was quite a common thing um, and now you have to understand that the body takes time to adapt, and when there has been a long-term chronic deficiency, you know it may take years to get to that point. So it may take years for the body to regain its its balance.
1: But I'm actually curious about the results that the doctor got. There were results, so if somebody had like a heart rate of like mm-hmm. sixty when standing up, yeah, will that did that reverse eventually or? Yeah,
2: in many cases, um, when there were not permanent structural damage or permanent structural changes to the body, um, many of the symptoms could be eradicated permanently, mm-hmm. uh, along with dietary changes as well. So if someone was consuming lots of sugar. Um, they would have to go on on a diet which was not containing all of that because that was what led them to get to that point in the first place but yeah essentially what he found was some of these conditions some of these symptoms um chronic nausea and vomiting uh, insomnia headaches migraines um as you've said blood blood pressure blood heart rate um abnormalities um digestive symptoms chronic digestive issues Um, A wide variety of symptoms spanning every single body system could be eradicated with this treatment. And now, that's not to say that people are going to cure themselves with this vitamin, but that it has extreme therapeutic potential. Now what I would like to say is that a chronic deficiency can go unnoticed for quite a long time. the reason I, I say this because it's important is because if you look back at Japan um, when you had this, this population who were chronically deficient it was often in the summertime that they would actually develop many of the symptoms. They would suddenly come on. This is or it's theorized that this is because of the stressor. You need an initial stressor to sort of um, begin the cascade of things which um, which ends in, in a disease state so let me explain in a simpler way essentially you can have a chronic deficiency that goes relatively unknown okay, when something happens you have an initial stressor something, it can be a vaccine, it can be medication, it could be an infection, an infection. yeah, an infection was a common trigger, it can be UV light It can be any stress. It could be a life event, you know, a loss of a loved one. Something happens which initially places a lot of stress on your system and the underlying deficiency begins to manifest. And it's at that point that it starts to tumble downhill okay and so he's found that many there is um it can be a dose of fluoroquinolones it could be Gardasil there is a lot of work being done on 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 females who've had the Gardasil vaccine Mm -hmm. or the the shot and they've actually developed POTS and dysautonomic function and they've been treated with thiamine and that's helped quite a lot yeah
1: and in diabetes Will it be so helpful because when you have neuropathic pain mm-hmm. like in, a, in a diabetic person, maybe it is more a thiamine deficiency and it, and it is not that the nerve is completely destroyed due to the high
2: sugar state? Yeah, know. yeah. Well, they've shown in type 1 and type 2 diabetics, um, they, one study I believe, showed up to 50% less thiamine in the type 1 and up to 40% or 60% in the type 2. So they had roughly half as much thiamine as the average population without diabetes. And when you look at diabetes, um, the what actually goes on in the cell in diabetes is very interesting because if, if the cell can no longer turn around energy very fast, this is going to have downstream effects on whether it accepts more sugar into the cell. Mm-hmm. This can independently sort of tell insulin to shut off. Um, and so thiamine deficiency has had very good results in diabetes, improving... Uh, actually, to say that in non-diabetes, when you have imbalances in blood sugar, so you could have hypo hypo, or hyperglycemia, thymine has been shown to be low in both of those cases and it can induce those symptoms. Likewise, in different eating behaviours, so bulimia or anorexia, it can cause you to have a voracious appetite or it can cause you to become um, disenchanted with food and not want to eat anything and so they have also treated these kinds of people with thiamine as well, with good results. Um, so it seems like there is a wide variety of different conditions, and f- as as per Dr Lonsdale's experience, it's, it's a very safe treatment. Now what needs to be said is that upon administering thiamine, what we need to understand is that um, Many of the enzymes and the activities that thiamine helps to perform in the body also need other things. So one of those is magnesium. Magnesium is very important. And so what he found was sometimes when he did administer thiamine to a patient, it could cause um, some problems, whereas uh, only minor problems, maybe an exacerbation of some symptoms, heart palpitations and things. Whereas when he administered magnesium at the same time, he found that he got much much more beneficial effects. Right. Likewise, what he recommended was actually um, prescribing magnesium along with the rest of the B vitamins mm-hmm. to, to mimic nature, you know, in, in that sense.
1: But can you overdose in one of the B vitamins or was it relatively safe once you megadosed?
2: Well, I don't think he megadosed the other B vitamins. Mm-hmm. I think it was a standard multivitamin, complex maybe a methyl B vitamin where you have the standard doses and it was just a high dose thiamine along with that, oh, that thiamine appears to be very safe
1: Let's see. yeah that's pretty interesting mm. information about thiamine mm. um, the patients that uh, dr. Longsdale typically saw was uh, the pot secret, right? Mm. And did you know about other cases where he applied the same research?
2: Yeah, so there were cases of uh, learning difficulties, or what we would probably call autism now. And there were cases of learning difficulties, which seemed to improve significantly upon thiamine treatment. Um, there were many cases of, as I've said before, gastrointestinal disturbances, mm-hmm. um, vomiting, chronic vomiting, nausea, headaches, migraines, mm-hmm.
1: That got better with iron
2: supplements supplementation? Yes, yes, yeah. Um, so he was using it on many different patients, um, and many of them improved. Not all of them, and it didn't necessarily cure them of everything, but it improved their symptoms significantly. And likewise, I believe he was also working with people with um, cardiovascular diseases, so arrhythmias, um, as I've said, palpitations, but also... Um, many many other kind of conditions
1: Probably fibrillation
2: Yeah, yep, like, yep things like that well well yeah his um his ex- explanation was that much of the heart's electrical activity is is coordinated via the autonomic nervous system, and so through the vagus nerve. through the vagus nerve, and when there is um when there is low thiamine, this can potentially really um Break down the body's ability to regulate the stress system, and so one of the another symptom is um, is actually an overactive fight or flight response. So chronic stress and these kinds of things may actually be also um, exacerbated by an underlying vitamin deficiency. That's
1: interesting. Yeah, the, I think the key word here is the autonomic nervous system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That it basically everything that is automatic in your body is ruled by the autonomic nervous system. Mm -hmm. So that's where thiamine can help.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, I just think it's very interesting because we hear a lot about many other vitamins through mainstream research or even alternative research, vitamin E, vitamin D, even B complex vitamins, even vitamin A, but well, you don't hear something specific about thiamine. Here I am. Mm-hmm. Even from the B complex, you hear a lot about B6 and B12 and mm-hmm. niacin. Yeah, but yeah. what about thiamine? Why do you think? You know?
2: I mean, that's such a good question. And in all honesty, I ask myself that <laughs> all the time because it, it seems bizarre that something with such wide ranging effects for so many different conditions would not have more publicity and it seems like many people do not know about this treatment um and as you said it it's kind of like the the dark horse or the lone wolf you know and it doesn't really get the um the attention that it deserves but hopefully with this book and with some of the work that's coming out now um, hopefully more people and more practitioners will be able to try this and hopefully we can have some more scientific research on the topic because again it seems like a very safe and effective treatment um, and especially in our modern world where we we are consuming more and more sugar by the day you know mm-hmm. so
0: who is at risk of a thiamine deficiency is there anybody in particular
2: i mean that's a very good question as well and Really, in, in clinical care, in a hospital setting, you would be looking at someone with um, kidney failure or who has had gastric bypass. They are very common um, for thiamine deficiency. In um, anyone with anorexia or the elderly, and um, and in anyone who is young, actually. So young children, um, typically children who who are eating a very high sugar diet and who have a limited diet are, are at risk for thiamine deficiency, but when we're talking about the general population, um, it, it's also very applicable in, in our modern world, and I think many people probably do suffer from subclinical thiamine deficiency and don't really know about it. So. It needs to be understood that we come into contact with many different toxins. Many of us take medications or over-the-counter medications, which are non-prescription, which also have a negative effect on thymine metabolism. Um, anyone who can, consumes refined sugar or refined starches or even refined fats, um, these are all people who are at risk for thiamine deficiency now anyone who has any kind of gut issues gut dysbiosis what we call it or chronic diarrhea something like that um, there is a good chance that they may be lacking in in some of the b vitamins and thiamine is one of those Um, aside from that there is also mold if there if someone suffers from mold toxicity um, this is quite a common thing i think if you're living in a moldy house then some of the mold toxins can actually have an effect on thiamine they can deplete thiamine um and aside from that um really most of us uh, if if we're eating a, a western diet or a standard american diet kind of thing then we are going to be at risk for this and so ultimately i think that in order to optimize your B vitamin status if you're not going to supplement then I would recommend switching to a whole foods diet Um, ideally if you're going to drink tea or coffee drink it away from meals um, and try to maximize the intake via whole foods as I've just said but really cooking methods is another thing so boiling potatoes if you're going to boil potatoes a lot of the thiamine is actually going to be lost in the water so baking it you would maintain that um for pork it you know frying or something like that is 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 going to maintain that rather than boiling it or whatever you know so there's there's various ways that you can try to maintain that
1: and for supplementation that are well the types that you described Mm. and they're researching these liposomal versions Will it something it will be something that you can do like even uh, with an ultrasonic cleaner or nobody has touched it? Yes,
2: yeah, so, so it's not actually a liposomal form, it's mm-hmm. just lipid soluble, mm-hmm. so that it just means it's fat soluble. It's I, from what I understand, it's not, it's not, um, it's the kind of thiamine that you, you would find in garlic. Mm-hmm. So it's in other words, uh, another name for it is called allithiamine. Okay, so you do find small amounts in garlic, um, and it just means it's got a prosthetic group on it, uh, if you look at the chemical formula, and it's just slightly different, but it means they can pass through the cell, into the cells, without transporters. So if you've got a situation where someone has been chronically deficient, like we were talking about before, where they may have maybe either a genetic defect in, in the transporters, or the cells may just be so chronically deficient that they downregulate the transporters, it's going to be difficult to get the thymine into the cells. Whereas if you use the lipid-soluble form, then you can actually bypass the membrane without any transporter proteins. That's you, the idea. Did
1: Dr. use parenteral use, like shots, intramuscular shots?
2: Yeah, he did in, in some cases. And he actually found that in very severe cases, um, which were resistant to... Um, oral formats Uh, he did find that intravenous was actually necessary however in I believe in the majority of cases oral thiamine was effective as I've said in some cases thiamine salts hydrochloride thiamine hydrochloride at high dose was effective in other cases it wasn't and in those cases he would use a lipid soluble form Um, and he found that that generally worked and in the very sort of difficult Minority of cases he would use intravenous. Can you repeat the
1: name of the book?
2: Yeah, so the book is called High Calorie Malnutrition. Sorry, no, it's called Thiamine Deficiency, Dysautonomia, and High Calorie Malnutrition. And it's by Dr. Derek Lonsdale and Chandler Mars. Wow. Yeah.
0: This has been very interesting, very fascinating. Thanks a lot for uh, sharing this with us, uh, Elliot. Yeah,
1: thank you for sharing with us. Yeah. Hello, and welcome to the Pet health segment of the Health and Wellness Show. This week, I'm going to share with you a recording by Dr. Karen Becker, where she talks about anemia in cats, what symptoms to pay attention to, the underlying causes for it, and how to deal with it. Have a great weekend, and goodbye.
3: Hi, this is Dr. Karen Becker. Today, we're going to discuss anemia in cats. Anemia is a condition characterized by a below normal number of circulating red blood cells. Red blood cells contain hemoglobin, a protein that carries oxygen to all the tissues of the body. When a cat doesn't have enough circulating red blood cells, oxygen can't get into the tissues as required. Anemia can be caused by blood loss or red blood cell destruction, which is called hemolysis, which is considered regenerative anemia. In regenerative anemia, the bone marrow is capable of producing more red blood cells, but oftentimes not quickly enough to replace what's being lost. Anemia can also be caused by inadequate red blood cell production, which is considered non-regenerative anemia, a condition in which the bone marrow is unable to produce more red blood cells. Causes of regenerative anemia include hemorrhage caused by an accident or internal bleeding, parasites, immune-mediated hemolytic anemia, which is actually when a cat's body attacks its own red blood cells, Heinz body hemolytic anemia, certain medications, foods or toxins like acetaminophen or propylene glycol, which is antifreeze, copper, zinc, and onion toxicosis, as well as a strange and pretty rare condition called neonatal isoeurethrolysis, which is a very rare condition, It's an immune mediated condition in which kittens with type A blood drink colostrum from a mother with type B blood, so the situation would be incredibly rare. Non-regenerative anemia can be caused by feline leukemia virus, FIV, chronic kidney failure, and certain types of cancers, as well as poor nutrition or starvation and chronic inflammatory disease. A cat with anemia isn't getting enough oxygen to the cells of her body, so symptoms reflect oxygen deprivation. So symptoms can be pretty vague or diffuse, but they can include pale mucous membranes or gum color, lethargy, your cat may sleep more, she may have a loss of appetite or a diminished appetite, she may also have black tarry stools if she's bleeding internally or from the GI tract, she may have weight loss, generalized weakness, a rapid pulse or breathing, and a heart murmur. One of the most common causes of anemia in cats, especially middle-aged or older kitties, is chronic kidney disease. Production of red blood cells takes place in the bone marrow. And in order for the process to work, the bone marrow needs an adequate supply of erythropoietin, which we call EPO. EPO is a glycoprotein hormone. EPO is produced by the kidneys, and cats with chronic kidney disease oftentimes can't produce enough of this hormone to supply the bone marrow. So as a result, the bone marrow can't get enough of the EPO, which signals to it to produce red blood cells, and that leads to anemia. In addition, the lifespan of red blood cells in kitties with kidney disease is about half that of healthy cats, which is another reason why cats with kidney problems oftentimes end up with secondary anemia. A very important test for anemia is, of course, the complete blood count. Elevated numbers of immature red blood cells are called reticulocytes, um, and they usually point towards regenerative anemia, which is the type caused by blood loss or red blood cell destruction. A blood smear is used to help check for the presence of bloodborne parasites, as well as to check for abnormalities of the physical appearance or visual appearance of the red blood cells. A biochemical profile helps to evaluate a cat's general health and determine organ involvement, if there is any. A fecal exam is used to check for blood loss from the GI tract. X-rays and ultrasound exams can help your vet visualize internal organ size and the presence of foreign objects or potential tumors going on inside your cat's body. In cats with non-regenerative anemia, a Coombs test is performed to look for antibodies against red blood cells, which indicates immune-mediated hemolytic anemia. And in worst-case scenarios, a bone marrow biopsy will be suggested to confirm certain types of cancers. Finding the cause of why your cat is anemic is really important, since anemia is actually a symptom of something else wrong in your cat's body. Treatment will then depend on the cause and the severity of the anemia. In cases of mild regenerative anemia, no treatment may be needed, since the body still has the ability to produce red blood cells. Your cat's blood work will be monitored until it returns to normal and then periodically thereafter to make sure she doesn't become anemic again. Holistic veterinarians will oftentimes supply the B vitamins as well as chlorophyll supplements during this time which can help mildly anemic cats recover faster. In cases of non-regenerative anemia caused by chronic kidney disease and depending on the severity of the anemia, your vet may recommend the use of erythropoiesis stimulating agents, like epigen, to increase the production of urethropoietin in the kidneys. As with all medications, however, these drugs do have some side effects, so I would consider trying acupuncture and blood-building supplements first. Other traditional treatments depend on the cause of the anemia, so again, getting a diagnosis as to why the anemia is present is really important. In cases of acutely anemic cats and certain other situations like trauma, blood transfusions may be necessary. Untreated feline anemia really has the potential to become fatal, so it's important to investigate both the anemia and the underlying cause as soon as possible.
0: Those are some non-anemic sounding goats. So thank you for that, Zoya. And thanks very much to Elliot and Gabby, uh, my co-hosts on that interview. That was some great information. Uh, Elliot, really appreciate that. So that is our show for today. Um, be sure to tune in to the other shows on the SOT Radio Network. Uh, tomorrow we have The Truth Perspective and on Sunday, Newsreel. And you can go to radio.sot.net to check on the times for that. We'll be back next week with another health and wellness topic.